There we go. Welcome everyone, Stock Market Live. I'm Daniel Snyder. This is Awesome Hankwitz. You're hanging out with us. We got Josh in the back. Nick's here with us. Mark's here with us. James, Dan, Anna. Thank you everyone for coming to hang out on your lunch hour, your dinner hour, wherever you might be joining. We know we got people in Mexico. We got people across Europe. We got people on the other side of the world. Austin, I mentioned that we're on Apple Podcasts now. People have been going. They've been giving us ratings. They've been giving us reviews. Shout out to all of those that have taken the time to do that for us. I don't know. Obviously, we're talking about ratings in the charts and where we fall. I just noticed today that we are currently number 65 in the Netherlands for this podcast. Shout out Shout to out our to Netherlands our over viewers. In the Netherlands. How's it going? Let us know. Internationally, of course, we love having you all here. Join us, as I mentioned, Marie, Mark, Greg, James, everybody is here hanging out with us. Guys, if you're listening to the podcast on replay, come hang out with us for this hour. Obviously, we're diving into all of it. So without further ado, I want to get things started. I think, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I think Elon Musk might have listened to me. Yeah. Oh, wait a second. Are you talking about your, your checkmark? I'm talking about the... it. Josh, can you throw up this first pull it slide? Up, pull it up. Let's see. Look, now, I, there's a lot that goes into this. Maybe, you know, it was just an idea. Maybe I saved somebody's job at Twitter. Who knows, right? I'm not, you know, watch the ego, feed the soul, right? I posted this a little over a week ago. I created this little graphic. I said, hey, you know, there's a whole lot of problems over there at Twitter. Why not add on to a blue color checkmark all these other colors? And they can all be different categories, right? It just makes sense. It's so simple to do. It solves so many problems, helps classify, adds to the user interface and the experience. Josh, next slide. So I posted that, and then we just got word on, uh, I think it was Friday, right? Thursday or Friday, Twitter was to tweak the verification system, including gold and gray checks, along with the blue check mark. Boom! Sounds right to there, me right? like 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 you you laid it out for him. One, two, three, A, B, C, and I'm and here he, for the so people, I'm sure man. he's looking at your tweets, man. He's looking at the mentions. He said this help. guy Daniel Snyder. He knows what he's talking about. We're gonna run with it. We're gonna put our chief strategy officer on it, and now it's it's game over, baby. We got it done. Hey, I'm looking forward to seeing what else comes to the platform because, I, you know, there's a lot of good that comes from the platform and there's a lot of, you know, controversy right now. And we'll get into that here in a second. But I also want to say, you know, congratulations to us, by the way. Obviously, everything you guys hear is just us and our opinions and the analysis that we do on these stocks that you guys pitch us and the ideas that come out of the show as well. Um, Josh, throw up the next slide, actually. This was sent to me by one of our longtime viewers, and it makes me feel good. So I just want to share it with you as well, because I, I haven't told you about this yet, but I received this text message the other day. So I picked up some Academy Sports stock last week after your broadcast. It is up $4.92 per share since my acquisition date. Come Boom. on now. Come on We're now. here for the people, right? Obviously, you guys, anything we talk about here, we're not telling you to buy. We're not telling you to sell. We're just telling you what looks favorable to us, what we might do. You know, that's all on us. Obviously, continue to do your own research as you watch the show. But just had to pinpoint that out. Josh, you can go ahead and take that off for me. So. So I'm excited, Daniel. You know, we got a lot going on today. We've got a little bit of uh, stock analysis. We got a little bit of initial thoughts. I actually have a theme for my initial thoughts, so I'm really pumped to get into that. We're going to talk a little bit about Elon. We're going to talk a little bit about our uh, our sort of overlords, Apple, and uh, we're going to get into Datadog. So maybe you want to kick us off with some charts. You want to talk about maybe some gaps we're seeing. What's the VIX up to? 
we, we saw a little bit of a sell-off recently, but we're still up, you know, hovering around these all recent all-time highs. What's what are the charts telling us? Yeah, let's look at the overall market. Josh, go ahead and throw up that first slide. I'm gonna highlight something new this week that actually is something that uh Mike Saul used to do on what's happening in the stock market that he did. And he would show you the CNN fear and greed index. So where are we okay. right now? We're gonna start taking a look at this every week because it gives you the overall sentiment of where we are in the market. Um, so here we are obviously in greed. You know, a year ago we were in extreme fear. And the last few months, we've been slowly crawling up from that extreme fear reading, which was at an all-time low. It was week over week, just completely in the gutter. Let's go ahead and take that off for me, Josh. I'm going to go ahead and jump over to the charts here so that we can all take a look. Before we do that, Daniel, maybe, and I I don't know if you have this information or or I certainly don't. Do you know what that, that fear greed index is based upon? Is it based upon, you know, maybe call put ratio? Like, like what, what do you think the, the fear greed index that you just showed is, is really truly based upon maybe to give our, our listeners and, and watchers some context? I think there might be, I mean, I, so I don't know the answer off the top of my head, but I, I can tell you that a lot of people use it for the contrarian trade um, and to get an overall sentiment of the market, right? I, I imagine there's things like the, the AA, um, you know, investor survey that's done every week. I'm sure there's a bunch of different data points mm-hmm. that they put into that. Um, but it seems to be one of those kind of watch things that you're like, well, you know, people were fearful. Now they're greedy. If you're thinking this is a bear market rally, that kind of lines up with that. And so maybe I want to start going short the market. Maybe I want to start selling. Maybe I want to buy puts. Maybe I want to do vertical credit spreads, you know, whatever it might be. Um, so that's why people kind of keep an eye on that. It's just, it's just another data point to take into your consideration as you're, you know, maybe doing a top-down approach into your stocks that you're looking at this time. Um, actually, so going into the charts, like you know, we like to start off with the VIX. Let me make sure I've got this over here. There we go, the VIX. So remember last week, I went ahead and left this line right here for us. And that was my projection of, we were probably gonna come down and get to the 20 line and bounce up. Well, what's been going on so far, this is the weekly chart. Let me get down into the daily. We have seen that exactly. Of course, we came into this week red hot off the news of the China lockdowns, the protests, everything going on over there. We got a nice little VIX pop. And now we have another gap underneath right here, just as we filled the last one. So obviously a gap just above below, above the 20 mark. And here we are today with the VIX spiking green to the upside. Again, just something to keep an eye on. Obviously, looking at the dollar, we've got you know Powell coming out talking, I believe it's today. Um, so we're all kind of watching this right now. It seems to have stabilized here a little bit. Let me go ahead and throw on our moving averages so that everybody can see. We're kind of bouncing off the one, uh, the sorry, the 200-day moving average here with the dollar index. Going into the SPY, SPY ETF for the S&P 500, we are just under this 200-day moving average, kind of trapped between that and the 100 and 200, which are converging right now. We're kind of in the long down trend line. We're just following that line on down right here into this little corner. We're obviously all watching this, right? Maybe we're just in a range, right? There's a lot of gap. There's gaps above the market. There's gaps below the market. We have uh, December 14th, the next Fed interest rate hike. Everybody's expecting 50 basis points. It's going to affect the markets. It's all about the the talk though, right? We're waiting to see how- All the about the talk. Is. And we're about to go into the blackout period. So we won't hear from the Fed speakers finally for a little bit because um, they'd like to talk too much, but- Obviously, if we come down to the downside, looking for some resistance here around the 100-day moving average. Let me come in here and just make sure I know where that level is for you. Uh, It's about the 391 area on the S&P 500 SPY ETF. Going into the Qs, we bounce off the 0.618 retraction. We've got gaps below the market. We are here. Now, let me just expand this a little bit. I want to show you something here. So I drew this line earlier. I'm going to go ahead and just clean this up. So boom, let's do this. Oh, one second, wrong one. 
Oh, mess that up. All right, well, I'll keep going. So we got this trend line right here. They call it the neckline, right? So it's kind of a resistance point, or sorry, support point in this regard. And what most people will do is if you follow patterns, because it kind of patterns relate to the psychology of the market at times, it's kind of weird how they work out. You would take the trend line, the neckline you have here, and you would draw a line up to the top of the highest point of these two peaks, giving you a 4.32% move, right? So I look at the gap below the market here and I go, okay, from the neckline, if I'm looking for a move to the downside, if I go down 4.32%, where does that take me? It takes me pretty much to the bottom of the gap. How does how that happens? I have no idea. What what is well, this? Well, interesting to me, right? Well, it's the it's tech crazy. sector, right? So as we continue to raise interest rates in the tech sector, the tech or sorry, as we raise interest rates in the economy, the tech sector usually gets hit. So that might be one of the next catalyst moves we see here. Um, or if you start to see earnings dropping, right? That's something that we keep talking about as well. What are earnings going to do for these companies? We're seeing layoffs. DoorDash just announced their layoffs. There's a lot more layoffs to come. Had so, some stuff with CrowdStrike saying a lot of the macro headwinds they're seeing. So you know, I'm, I'm sure they're not the only ones. Exactly. So now here we got IWM, which is the Russell ETF. We're kind of converging here in this little balance zone that we have. Same thing. You've got a neckline here on the top of the gap. If we were to draw the neckline here, let me just take it from here, go to the top, this top highest point, 4.19%. If we do break down to the downside, you could probably see that come back down here to the 173 area, which kind of looks like there's a little bit of support right here. So we look at support and resistance zones. If it breaks to the downside, you might find some support down here at 174. So just some levels to keep an eye on. Obviously, there's a lot that's, we're going into December, right? I don't know about you. I've been reading some data about, when the market is down over 15%, usually December is a down month. Um, so keeping that in mind, obviously, everybody wants to see a Santa Claus rally. I would love to see a Santa Claus rally. There's a lot of pain out there. But we're going to find out from Powell and the Fed, FOMC, where we're headed from here. So that's your overall look in the market. And before we go any further, I uh, want to go ahead and throw up our poll. Josh, if you don't mind, for everybody joining us today, we're kind of curious. Last week, the response was higher. Where do you think the market is headed by the end of the year? Are we going higher or are we going lower? Go ahead and vote for us right there. Throw a little music on in the background. Guys, just to answer your question about the Mike Saul webinar, I'm seeing a lot over here in the chat. Unfortunately, we had made the tough decision to sunset that show, but we appreciate that you're still here hanging out with us. Hopefully, we can help fill in a little bit of what you guys were getting from that show. We're diving more into stock analysis. I know he was more general over market view. We'll try to fill in some of those gaps as well. And see where we go. Josh, let's go ahead and end that poll for us. All right, what's the results? We have lower whoa, this week. Whoa, whoa, whoa. percent of people saying that the market is headed lower into the end of the year. This is, man. Welcome to the dark side. Week. I've we been, went I've been, higher hey, to listen, lower. And I, I know, know you're thinking you, about the Santa Claus rally. I know you've been wanting to see the stocks go up. I've just, and, and I will be the first to admit, I have absolutely been terrible at timing my short position. I have been eaten alive over the last bear market rally six weeks. However, I could not be more ready to see the market have a nice cool down things I, I you know bear market rallies we've been talking about it for a while now and I, i'm just I'm, I'm i'm here the consensus is with me here norm lower. has a point you're in lo tax loss harvesting that is also something that we're probably going to see which is going to just put selling pressure on the market you know you're in a down year might as well take the tax loss harvesting now while you can so man that's interesting all right we'll keep that in mind of course we'll ask you again here oh i gotta mention i was about to say next week everyone that's here with us unfortunately 
Austin and I are taking some time to ourselves next week. There will be no show next Wednesday, but we will be back the week after. And we've got a great special guest joining us week, that week. We'll tell you more uh, as that gets closer. So let's get into initial thoughts. Bullish or bearish, why don't we go ahead and kick us off, Austin? I'd love to. Okay, so Elon Musk was tweeting a lot during Thanksgiving break. And a lot of those tweets had a little bit to do with Apple and Google, right? I mentioned the theme of this initial takes, initial thoughts here is Apple, right? That's my theme for this. So Elon has been talking a lot about Apple, how they've sort of had this 30% tax and things of that nature. And they even threatened to take Twitter off of the app store. And because of that, people were speculating. And he even confirmed that if it got so bad that he was kicked off the app store, both on Google and iPhones, that he would create his own smartphone. I think a Elon Musk smartphone would be incredibly awesome. I feel like it could be the missing puzzle piece between Neuralink, between Starlink, and between maybe some solar panel stuff that technology he has from Tesla. What are your initial thoughts on an Elon Musk smartphone? Timelines, ideas, anything around it, I want to know. I want to know from the the people here watching with us too, because my, my whole thought is, uh, not going to happen. Um, if it does, it's going to be running off Android, maybe. I mean, think about it. It's the operating system that you need to control, and that's why Apple is doing what it does with the App Store. Is it controls? It, it, it's it's the gatekeeper. It controls everything that happens there. And the reason with Twitter and the debacle is, if you're allowing people to say whatever they want on Twitter, well, Apple still has guidelines. They still have morals if you will i mean i'm all for free speech don't get me wrong but i think there's there's certain areas where we need to be like moderating a little bit um not overarching right but like would i love to see the phone absolutely what would it look like what would it entail would it talk to your what here's a question for you because with apple they always say if you buy the iphone we pretty much got you right like that's the entry point if elon designs his version of the phone, would you buy a Tesla after that? See, that's the first thing I thought, right? So Tesla, there, there are 3 million Teslas, at least as what Wikipedia said. There are 3 million Teslas just all over the world right now that are being driven around. Like, like if you think about it, those are his devices. Now compare that to the billion, say that again, 1 billion Apple products, if it's an iPad, a MacBook, and or an iPhone that are across the world, right? So not really at all in comparison here, but Perhaps, I don't know any of the operating system that goes into these Teslas. There's a lot of stuff that I don't know. I'm just kind of piecing it all together as I see it. But to that point, right, I mean, could the Tesla, you know, these 3 million Teslas be kind of that, that first step toward a more mass-produced product, which could be a smartphone? I mean, we kind of all seen that. I don't even call it a meme anymore. It was kind of a game plan where Elon released the first um, electric vehicle for a very high um price point and then it came down a little bit more and came down a little bit more and then now we have the model three for like 40 or 50 grand right so maybe it comes down so much that it now is a smartphone for two grand three grand right who who knows what that is but i think for this smartphone would have to be like five hundred dollars or less yeah i think i mean first off do you know how long it takes for an operating system to be built i mean it takes no i have no idea i mean and also you're talking about it's not just the problem of him building the phone. Sure, you can build the piece of hardware, but developers in the world have already learned so many languages. They don't want to learn more languages. They don't want to have to learn how to code in new languages and new ways in order to implement, I want my phone to do this or that when you touch the screen and then you go into, all right, well, who owns the patents on this technology and that technology? I mean, it, it could get expensive really fast. 
That makes a lot of sense. So I guess what we're hearing is Daniel does not think that a smartphone is on the way from uh, our Iron Man of Elon Musk. I would love to be surprised, but I don't think he's coming. Got it. All right. So staying on that topic of Apple, Ming-Chi Ko shared recently that major iPhone 14 Pro shortages and delays could be around the corner. I think that he was saying that we saw 20 million iPhones uh, just kind of disappeared from a, a shortage perspective that, that got shipped. This is because of the labor things, labor um, protests that are happening with a Foxconn and I think the Zing Hao uh, plant. Um, what do we think about this? Is this going to impact Apple in a meaningful way? Is this now some sort of, um, I, don't, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm trying to you know piece it together. Yeah, I think, I mean, we all are, right? I'm not sure where this guy gets his data from. I'm curious about that. The thing that has been going through my head about all this news about, you know, lockdowns in China and Foxconn factory workers kind of hopping fences and running out because they're not getting paid bonuses for their work. And, and now the incentive plans of how they're trying to get more iPhones made in time. Um, I think the conversation or the question should be how many iPhones are being made in India now, right? So they've, they're moving to diversify their production because Tim Cook is a brilliant man and used to control all supply chain things at Apple. And as, you know, Taiwan Semi opens the plant here in America, will iPhones start being made here in America? I mean, I think they have many levers that they're setting up to pull so that they don't have to rely as heavy on China. So is that 20 million iPhones that were supposed to be made at those plants in China? Or is that also China plus India plus all these other little areas that they're outsourcing? I mean, MacBook computers are made in Texas. Why not make iPhones in Texas too? Um, that's where my mind goes. I think we'll be surprised by what Apple can do. Of course, Obviously, if you can't get your product in the hands of consumers, then you won't get the revenue. Um, but the demand for their products are still high. So it's, it's not so much people may not buy. They just might miss the opportunity to buy the iPhone 14 when the iPhone 15 will be here in 10 months, you know, whatever it might be. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. And now sticking on the same sort of idea of Apple, we, we, we talked a little bit about Elon and the App Store. We talked a little bit about these protests. Now let's talk about Spotify's CEO. Spotify's CEO took to Twitter this morning with a long Twitter thread, kind of fueling the fire of Apple's anti-competitive 30% tax on in-app purchases, providing a lot of reasons as to why it could be considered unethical and even hampering growth and innovation, something that Apple has been very adamant about and kind of the poster child of growth and innovation in technology. Um, is this the downfall of Apple's tight grip? on monetizing their app store. I know we, we, we've seen a little bit of stuff with Fortnite, we, Spotify, they've been talking about this for three, four years now. Like people have brought this up, but Elon, all eyes on Elon, he's, one, he's been someone who's really gotten a lot of attention now toward this idea of this 30% tax on Apple in-app purchases. Let me flip the question on you. How much do you think is an acceptable amount for them to take? And that's a question for everybody watching as well. Drop it in the chat. You're right, Alan. It's not a tax, right? I, I'm, I'm using uh, quotations with my, my, uh, my fingers here. Uh, so just we're on the same page. 5%, 7%, 10%, 15 Yeah. Um, I think if um, I'm going to go 15 because whenever I think about, and now this is from my perspective as a content creator, and uh, most agents, whenever they present some sort of opportunity, a, a way for you to monetize beyond your own ability to monetize, they take a 15% cut. So I, that's my only uh, kind of perspective on that. Yeah, 15%, which they're already doing now. 
for developers who are making less than $1 million a year in revenue. So I think that's commendable. But this 30%, that's, that's I don't know, it's interesting. It's a structured approach, right? And I think that's what the, I mean, let's, you brought up Spotify, right? I just pulled up Spotify here on Seeking Alpha. The stock down is, is down to $75 a share. It was a direct listing stock, not an IPO, right? So they would direct list it at $149 a share. Stock peaked up to $364. Also, side note, I watched that series, The Playlist, on Netflix about Spotify. Incredible. Also, like the way they did the storytelling structure of like each episode is told from a different perspective. You have the VC investor, you had the CEO, you had the artist, you had the, the music label, the, the head of Sony guy, like go check it out. But I think they have a bunch of other issues going on besides just Apple taking 30% of, you know, the, the in-app purchases here. Um, but you're, you're talking about this company created a product and and put in so much money into the research and development costs, developed the software, increased productivity around the globe, connected us to the internet everywhere. Why not let them profit off of it in the scale structure that you're talking about, right? Give a smaller, take a smaller percentage for companies making up to a million dollars in revenue, like have it scaled like that. Why is that not acceptable? Yeah, no, I I, I think it's. Ah, if you're I making just, a lot of money, and somebody enabled you to make that money. I mean, I get know. it. Hey, I I'm a capitalist. I'm right there with you. But I just think at the end of the day, as well, like if I am, like, how can businesses think about Alexa, for example, right? Let's say Amazon Alexa. I'm 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 a seller on Amazon. Like let's pretend, right? And let's say, hey Alexa, I'm gonna go buy some toothpaste. And I don't I don't name a brand, but Alexa orders some random brands toothpaste, puts it, checks it out. How much is Amazon Alexa charging for that, right? I just want to know. Like Apple, the App Store is one ecosystem of monetization, and I think it's powerful. Obviously, a billion devices, right? Like that's massive, and and you need to pay to play. But on the same token, I, I I'd want to compare that now to other types of ecosystems that are enabling scalability at, of, of this nature, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. I mean, obviously, I don't believe Amazon affiliates are paying up 30%. I mean, even think about credit cards, right? Credit cards are taking, what, 3%? If you're American Express, maybe 4 or 5% of every transaction to the business owner, the, the consumers never see it, right? The, the interesting thing is you're doing this freemium model of apps on, on the phone and the app store. And of course, you, you get the app for free, but then you got to go in and you got to make all the upgrade purchases. And, and that's a business model. And of course, Apple gets 30% of all of that. At the same time, users of the iPhone are enabled to use maps for free. There's a free you know email app on there. There's calendar apps. There's all these free apps that you don't pay for at all. And so it's like, would you pay for those? Or should those stay free? Mm. Obviously, whenever we get something free, we always want it to stay free, right? Like that's just the consumer mindset. They hate, but you, you know, once you get it for free, you never want to pay for it. Um, I think in regards to charging a tax, you know, Christian over here in the in the chat says ten to fifteen percent. Um, you know, there's there's kind of a. The, they're protecting the security of your phone. They're protecting your computer. They're protecting your life. Everything is ease of use. I mean, there's a cost to that. And we don't know how much they're putting in, you know, labor costs and, and R&D costs and everything into developing things beyond this. So they're presenting us an opportunity that we wouldn't rather have. I think they're allowed to tax for it. 30%, maybe knock it down to 20. But I think the tier structure is the right approach. Boom. That's it. That's the take.
All right. So let's get into this real quick. I want to go through these three real quick so we can get to data dog. Um, first up, going off what you were talking about with Elon, the Tesla Semi just completed a journey for 500 miles on one charge. That's an all-electric Class 8 truck weighing 81,000 pounds. Bullish or bearish and in initial thoughts? I am super bullish on Tesla semi-trucks. I think that as someone whose sister's husband drives a truck for a living, um, and I know how backed up him and his, his crew is, I, I think it's incredibly exciting to know that not only will Tesla is not only is Tesla building some sort of device to allow him to perhaps drive longer, perhaps allow him to uh, drive more safely, more accurately, and and even at a at a lower cost, but eventually to completely subsidize what he and his crew are are doing all together. Right, I think at the end of the day is there are goods and goods that need to be moved from one location to another. And there are so many people that are skilled enough to do that. I would argue that people with CDL licenses are skilled, very skilled at driving and doing what they know how to do. Um, and so I'm, I'm super bullish on Tesla semi-trucks. I'm excited for them. Full self-driving one day, like I, I'm here for it. And isn't this going to like completely take Tesla? Like they, they've always said, we are so far ahead of every other electric vehicle manufacturer. And isn't this just like that next like higher? Right. Like, I would I would argue totally right to the consumer side. To me, what's really interesting about this is like they went went to the top of the supply chain logistics side of things, right? They so how how we've seen other companies, other EVs approach this supply chain logistics challenge with with within that EV sector is you see Rivian, right? Rivian and Amazon, it's the last mile approach, right? But Tesla said, no, we don't want, we don't want to do the last mile stuff. We want to do the actual, like the straight driving, the, the just across the country. I think that's really cool. And I think the way that they approach that was smarter than how Amazon and Rivian have, have approached that sort of last mile um, strategy. Yeah. I, I love to see this, right? I think about, you know, our railways and the logistics of our country and the backbone of our country and, and how you have that intermodal uh, connection mm -hmm. of trains mm -hmm. that, you know, CSX offers that United Pacific offers that. I think if they double down into this sector, I think you're going to see an explosive gross out of the semi sector of Tesla. And my main question, though, is how fast can you crank these out? Because there's going to be a lot of demand, and I want to see you fulfill that. So uh, moving on, there we go. That's your take on that. Meta Platforms backs off their New York City office space as it trims costs. Do you think that this will become kind of like the next story, right? We're seeing layoffs after layoffs. And now we're seeing companies saying, you know, Amazon did it with their warehouses. We're going to stop building so many warehouses. We're going to stop leasing so many warehouses till we get through this moment in the economy. What are your initial thoughts on just companies scaling back from the commercial office space? And does that hurt that entire sector, which was already de decimated by COVID? So that's interesting, right? Like, I mean, let's rewind a year ago. I don't know if you experienced this, but I had a lot of friends and family that were, you know, actively working full-time jobs and, and they had lived in these larger uh, metropolitan areas like Nashville, Chicago, places like that. And their employers are saying, got to come to work, got to come to work, got to come to work, right? Walk, walk, no hybrid. We need you here. Same thing with what, what Elon's doing, right? And now maybe like as things have begun to slow down over the last eight to 12 months from you know, a macroeconomic perspective and how it's being forecasted that we're going to see a recession uh, in the next, call it 12 months, um, these same companies might now be saying, hold up, maybe we should have just let them all work remote so we don't have to pay that. You know, I mean, for example, the company I was working for here in Nashville, I think it was $42,000 a month they were paying to lease the office building 
uh, that I had worked in. And I believe there was about 70 of us that worked there, right? I mean, I mean, that's 40,000 a, a month is a lot of money, right? And so if you're a small to mid-sized company, maybe it's not 40, maybe it's 20, but that's still a meaningful impact to the company's bottom line. And, and to be able to say, man, maybe we don't let them, you know, come back. Let's save some money. I, I think this is a trend we're going to continue to see. I think companies now that the economy is beginning to slow down are, are going to kind of have not just the perspective of, from from a from a moral let's all come together and work together kind of mentality but i'll say wait maybe financially it might make more sense to keep people at home for just let's let's see how the the economy shapes up in the next 12 to 18 months and hopefully our bottom lines are are going to be able to allow us now the ability to to all come together and and uh, and work in in unison and, and in a in a larger environment like that but I, I think it could be a trend i could see this actually becoming a thing where we'll see i, I don't know if, if it's going to be new york or texas or california but I, I could certainly see more of these companies starting to say ah you guys just stay home we're just actually going to save the money instead yeah I don't know about, you know, stay home, but maybe they'll just be like, look, if you, it, we'll go back to the old structure. If you want to come work for Meta, you have to move to Silicon Valley, right? Is that, is that conversation? Even though I was just looking through the, uh, so Indeed just put out a report with Glassdoor about the state of the labor market and what the trends are and everything. I was looking at it yesterday and they said that the search volume for remote work positions is still pretty much at an all-time high. So it seems like you're going to have this clash potentially between the employers and what the employees or potential employees still want. So interesting point, though. All right, let's finish this up. So the last one, going back to our friend Elon, who seems to be the theme of this so far today. Elon said this morning that the Fed needs to cut rates immediately, echoing what Professor Jeremy Siegel just from the Wharton School just said yesterday as well. Seems like they're all calling for Fed rate cuts I don't think the Fed's going to listen, but what do you think? I don't think the Fed's going to listen. I don't think they should. I don't think that we're going to see. So to your point, right, this 50% basis hike, that's going to likely happen. It's not going to, you know, we're not going to see a 75 or even a hundred, right? That's not, not reality anymore. And, but I would also be very careful to make sure that people don't think that this is them pivoting, right? The Fed's not pivoting. The Fed is still raising rates. Monetary policy is still tightening. Um, I don't think they're going to going to pivot at least until the end of next year. I think, you know, if anything, they're just going to continue to remain just, just tight. Like, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. So no, I, Elon, that's not what I want. That's not what I think should happen, but maybe he knows something I don't. I just don't think that... You know, Elon, I think Kathy Wood came out and said this too, and, and Jeremy Siegel, like everybody's telling them to cut, but they have, it's, it's bigger than America at this point, right? We're trying to help not have a global recession because think about the contagion of that, right? Um, and Alexis did, Alexis chatted us, said, are we having more rate hikes? Uh, yes, Alexis, unfortunately we are. It, I just want to point this out real quick. If you guys don't know, uh, the CME has what they call the Fed Watch tool, and this can give you insights into what, the market is expecting at the next meeting. So obviously you just come to this uh, cmegroup.com website and look for the FedWatch tool. So you have the December 14th, 2022, that's our next meeting. And then the next one after that, of course, is February 1st of next year. And the consensus right now is that we'll have a raise of 50. There's a 65% chance we're going to have a raise of 50 basis points. And then after that, I believe everybody's expecting a 25 basis point raise uh, 51% right now to bring us up to about that 5%, 4.75 to 5% interest rate on the Fed side of things. Now, remember, that's going to, the banks are going to add their stuff on top of that. So you're not going to get that nice luxury of only having that of interest payments. But yes, we are expecting more interest rate hikes 
And then Robert over here in the chat says, by that logic, then the pharma industry should be able to keep the patent on their drugs. And I think this goes back to our Apple conversation about the App Store. You know, Robert, uh, I think the conversation right is capitalism. And patents were designed and, and they, they have a roll-off period to encourage innovation and comp competition. Technically, I think the same thing is happening with Apple and the App Store is they're saying, hey, if you want to beat us and create competition for us, then go build something. Because we have spent so much time and hard work and effort and finance and everything else to go into this. Like We hired so many people and we have been working at this for decades to get to this point. We want to enjoy the fruits of our labor, but we love capitalism. We love innovation. We love competition. So if somebody doesn't like it, Hence, Elon Musk, maybe he'll design his new phone. Maybe he'll create his own app store. Maybe it'll be open source. Maybe everybody's going to get hacked because of it. Who knows? Um, just my last thoughts right there on that. So, Austin, I think it's about time. It's time, Daniel. It's dog. time. We got to get into this data dog deep dive because this company, so if you were here two weeks ago, remember I, I kind of made the case of I've noticed some insider transactions going on um, that I found on the symbol page here on Seeking Alpha. And it was some pretty large buying from an officer of the company. Um, just to remind you of that, his name is Matthew Jacobson. as has a, a you know, icon, IQ, I think it was called. Um, and funny enough, I was looking earlier today, and even after our episode, I believe it was after the episode, he made a third purchase. So I only, I only pointed out the first two, and then we got another filing that he purchased even more. I haven't seen any more purchases from him after that one. Um, and then the other, you know, statement of ownership that changed over there was somebody got awarded stock option, compensation, converted shares, but they sold it immediately. Um, so something to keep in mind. So Austin, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? We said we were going to do a deeper dive of this company. Why don't you just kind of give an overall umbrella approach of what Datadog is all about? I'd be happy to. So Datadog is a monitoring and analytics platform for developers, IT operations teams, and general business users that are working in the cloud. Their platform integrates with over 500 input companies, think like GitHub or SQL or even Evernote, to provide metrics, tracing, logs, and other important data points to their users, right? So through Datadog, developers, operators, and business leaders can have a holistic view of the entire company's technology stack, no matter the cloud provider that they're using to host it. The list of use cases this company offers to their customers is really long, but I think it's important to name a few of them so you guys have a better understanding of exactly what this company does, right? So the types of monitoring we're seeing we're, we're, that, that Datadog does, we're seeing infrastructure monitoring, application performance monitoring, uh, log management, user experience monitoring, network performance monitoring, database monitoring, security, uh, incident management, developer testing and pipeline monitoring, all on this integrated data platform. Josh, I'm not sure if you have this photo, but if I'm assuming we do, there's a, there's a bunch of different, we're seeing infrastructure, log management. Can we throw that up uh, so, so the people in the chat can, can kind of see more of their products here? Exactly, this is perfect. So if you go to Datadog's website you'll, and you click on services and products, things of that nature, this is what pops up, right? So just so you understand how vast and how many actual software products this company sells or kind of license seats to uh, to their customers, this is it, right? These software products are applicable across countless industries as well, including financial services, real estate, healthcare, education, and even gaming. Uh, it's, it's, it's huge. It's a lot. Daniel, is there any uh, feedback or input you want to, you want to jump in here? Yeah, I think to sum it up in like super 
layman terms is this company provides their customers and dashboard a, a one-stop shop where you know building a website building games building whatever you have all these different vendors all these different apps that you have to use and you piece them together like a puzzle right this company takes all the data points that come out of those vendors consolidates them into an easy visual dashboard to say hey we just had a, a blip of an outage well where did it come from right they want to know exactly where it came from to save a lot of time save your team's productivity work i mean they have all the things that they're working on but this is how they do it they implement datadog they immediately see oh you know vendor xyz they had an outage blip boom fix let's keep it going that's 100 percent. so so how does datadog make money uh, Datadog is your run-of-the-mill software as a service company. They allow customers to buy seats inside of their platform, and those customers pay them a monthly bill to maintain their seat. So, for example, the cost per enterprise seat for their APM and continuous profiler product, uh, which I believe is the third one, the right in the middle on the top there, uh, is $40 a month, right? $40 a month per seat. So let's assume you have 20 people on your enterprise team that need access to the software product. That's $800 per month in revenue for Datadog just for this one product. Now let's multiply that figure by six because that's you know a third of their total product offerings. Maybe you got a bunch of different things you're working on as an enterprise. We're now at $4,200 a month in revenue paid to Datadog for this hypothetical customer. That's $50,000 a year in annual recurring revenue that Datadog is now uh, recognizing on their income statement because of the different products that they're offering, right? And this is recurring. Um, so now that we understand who they are, how they make money, and things of that nature, how much did they make last quarter, right? What's the bull case? What's the bear case? Why would someone get excited about this company? So starting with their most recent quarter, the third quarter, I believe the earnings came out uh, just last week or the week before, revenue was $436.5 million. This was up 61% year over year. Operating cash flow was $83.6 million, with $67 million of that being recognized as free cash flow. This, was, uh, this took Wall Street by surprise, and we'll get into that in a little bit. They reported 2,600 customers now paying them more than $100,000 in annual recurring revenue. This is up 44% year over year. And they, they, they offered us some guidance for this quarter that we're in right now, right? Fourth quarter, revenue of about $450 million, bringing their 12-month 2022 total revenue to $1.65 billion. Um, Josh, do you mind throwing up the screenshot of their financial, their customers, and their platform? Yes, Stephanie, good point. We'll definitely get into that. So before we, we jump in further, though, I kind of want to, I, I saw this on their investor relations website, and I think it does a really good job of kind of giving you a snapshot of their business, right? We see the trailing 12-month financial revenue. We see kind of how that revenue has grown. We see their operating margin, their free cash flow margin, that dollar-based net retention rate being over 100%. That means that on an annualized basis, they're, they're now monetizing 30% more on the initial contract that they had sold a vendor. So in our example earlier about that $50,000, um, let's say after 12 months, I say, hey, great, I'm this hypothetical customer. I love paying Datadog for these seats. Oh, and they want me to buy more products for them. Count me in. It's a great platform. Here's 30% more money than that initial $50,000. So that's what that means. Uh, customers, right? 22,000 with 2,600 paying them over 100,000 a year. And I think the platform adoption, right? That's the interesting point to me. We're going to talk more about how these numbers have changed recently, but 80% of customers are using two products, right? Not just one. 40% are using four products and 16% of customers are using six or more products. 
Um, real, maybe... real quick before we, we move on from this. So one yeah. of the customers actually yesterday, I was, uh, so their CFO, David Opsler, I believe is how you say his name. He was presenting at Credit Suisse's 26th annual tech conference, uh, which might be their last tech conference, but, <laughs> uh, um, so he said, and if you look at customers over a hundred thousand dollars in ARR, you'll see that the average of those customers, those 2,600 customers, the average is actually around 600,000. So wow. That's impressive. That is really impressive. Um, and we, we actually, I have some some data around sort of their guidance to those 1 million and even 10 million plus customers uh, down the pipeline. But maybe uh, jump to the next slide for me. Uh, Josh, I think we might have another image here of their annual revenue and sort of how their quarterly revenue has, has moved in the right direction. So, you know, again, just to make sure we're on the same page with how this company has grown over the last, call it two, three years now, you can see it's it's grown exponentially, right? And that's what happens when you have a sticky product and you're, and you're offering a software as a service, this awesome dashboard that is so robust and so needed from a strategic perspective, strategic spending, right? You think about macro headwinds, we, we saw this with CrowdStrike, whatever. The last thing someone wants to do is say, eh, let's get rid of the platform that, that tells us everything going on with our business, right? Let's get rid of that. No, no one's saying that. No one's saying that at all. Um, next slide for me, Josh, that'd be great. Nice. So this is that that customers, right? We're seeing how that has sort of changed over year to year. And even now, and that, that orange section there, that is year over year for this specific quarter, right? So Q3 of 2021, we saw 17,500. And Q3 of 2022, it's now 22,000 customers. Absolutely incredible. And then the next slide shows us the number of customers with annual recurring revenue over $1 million a year, right? That's $216 million in ARR. Like that's just, that's just crazy to me. Uh, and that was last year. What's that going to be now coming uh, this year as, as we uh, will, we'll see their earnings, I think probably in, in February disclose that. Now you get to see the number of customers with ARR over um, that 100,000 figure. And as a percentage of total annual recurring revenue, how that has changed and increased. Now, let's kind of back out for a second and talk about the bull case, right? Why would someone be excited to invest into Datadog? Um, I've got about three or four reasons here. The first one is they're operating in a clear secular growth trend of migration to the cloud. And, and you pair that with this major digital transformation, more and more and more and more and more companies are spending larger percentages of their budgets on cloud infrastructure. I think I saw it was a 65 million, 65 billion rather, billion with a B, total addressable market uh, for Datadog by the end of 2024, right? So it's a clear secular growth trend. People are spending more money, uh, more percentages of their budget on cloud infrastructure. The next thing is they're selling a product as to what we said uh, earlier, that seems to be strategic, right? It's a need similar to cybersecurity, not the first thing executives are thinking of getting rid of when they have to figure out how to save money on the spending side. If macro headwinds start uh, getting worse and worse, right? The last thing, these people are saying is, oh, no, let's get rid of the platform that gives us all this information and data as to how our business is running, right? That's not exactly the first thing that comes to mind. Next is, uh, to Daniel's point earlier, talking about these big, big, big deals, the management team shared very positive commentary during their last earnings call around their customer pipeline, these big $1 million plus deals, and the dollar-based net retention rates remaining very high, which could lead to outsized revenue growth in 2023, right? People are hoping for this 30 to 40% range, and uh, I think that is a pretty fair assumption. Finally, their land and expand strategy is working, right? They added 180 net new 
100,000 plus ARR customers versus 170 last quarter, right? So not only are they adding more customers, but they're doing it faster than they were just three months ago. They're bringing that total up to 2,600, right? Up 44%. But the mix, and this is what we talked about earlier about the number of products each customer uses, right? So the mix of total customers uh, using two or more products increased 80, increased to 80%, right? So from 79% last quarter, moving in the right direction. Four plus products increased to 40% from 37% last quarter, moving in the right direction quarter over quarter. And six plus products were consistent at this 16%. So what I'm seeing from that is more and more of these customers are saying, wait, I've been using Datadog now for six months, 12 months. And I like this, wait, you guys have this product too? Count me in, right? Like, oh, I'm using six products. Well, do you want to cut any? No, I, I like using all of them. They're very beneficial to me. I love it, right? And and uh, Josh, actually, uh, can you throw on, I think that we've got some Bank of America estimates here. We'll, we'll breeze through this one quickly. But um, it's, it's a quick snapshot I, I grabbed from a Bank of America uh, an analyst report that shows kind of over the last 2020, 2021, 2022, and other estimates going th uh, through 2024, how their operating margin, return on equity, and more importantly, that free cash flow is looking to trend in the right direction, right? So what gets me excited is it seems to me that their free cash flow is going to double between now and the end of 2024. Really excited about that. Um, Daniel, got any commentary before we get into the bearish cases? Yeah, dude. So you made a lot of, I mean, we've talked about this frequently over the last couple of weeks, I feel like is how, you know, a lot of clients are looking to actually consolidate at this moment in time, you know, and, and the thing that stood out to me, which I don't think you mentioned yet is uh, Datadog recently put out a security platform as well. So as you're talking about consolidating, and I mean, obviously, we saw CrowdStrike's earnings last night, and they projected weaker, kind of makes you think like, if if this is your overall, you know, top of the the pyramid look down on all your vendors and datadog is here presenting you with this opportunity to say hey we know you're using them but you really like us and now we have this product as well that's them just taking up market share and i think your strategy is what you laid out what they do is they land and expand right you grab them on one and then you slowly extend and so i think you are you're hitting it right on the head there's going to be continued growth over time of more of their customers increasing the number of products that are, they're using in this company Hundred percent, and and you know we have a comment here from Sen saying that Datadog is down sixty percent since their recent all-time highs. Have they hit the bottom? Welcome to the bearish case, Sen. Right, so continued multiple compression with high growth stocks while interest rates rise and remain high. Right, Datadog is no exception to the tech bubble that we've sort of seen because of interest rates growing or rising rather uh, quite rapidly. Right, and I I do believe that that is. You know, a downside risk, right? That these multi the multiple compression will continue, and, and there's some images we'll share here in a bit. Um, another bearish case is the company operates in a highly competitive market, right? So they've got some peers, and they have some really long sales cycles with that. Uh, their international business might not develop as quickly as possible, and macro headwinds might not continue, or might continue to force small customers to optimize spend and say, "Hey, we're not going to be buying uh, data or renewing our contract with Datadog." So, looking here at, at a couple uh, different companies, I think what's interesting is thinking about how these enterprise value to next 12 months revenue multiples have changed. If you actually don't mind going to the next slide, Josh, there should be a graph that shows. Um, over the last, call it three years or so, we can see, and shout out to uh, Cloud of Judgment, go check them out on uh, Twitter, uh, at Jim and Paul. 
And we can see from this graph though that, that how these multiples have absolutely been demolished, right? And, and what's cool about this is the graph breaks down high growth, mid growth, and low growth. Um, the high growth median is Datadog, and it seems to be coming in at 8.1% right now across most cloud softwares. And the, the data we had just seen before that says it's trading around 11.2. So it's definitely above that average or that median rather, right? So to Sen's question, has it hit the bottom? I don't know, right? I'd argue Datadog is a, is, a, is a quality company. Their fundamentals are certainly moving in the right direction. So I'd imagine that they deserve to be trading at some sort of premium to the median. But on the same token, is the, the question now is, but is the median going to continue to come down? Which means, is that premium? By, by, by median, you mean the middle median or the low median? Uh, the high growth median, the blue line right there, 8.1%, okay. right? So that is the, you know, high growth is defined as more than 30% revenue growth year over year. Datadog is likely going to do between 35 and 45%. Um, see you later. Thanks so much, Alan. Appreciate you Thanks, hanging out with us. Um, but, you know, they're going to do this 35 to 45% revenue growth. That's great. And so from that perspective, um, I think we could see some continued multiple compression. The stock price could continue to move in, in, in the downward uh, you know, direction because of these rising interest rates. So we had a lot of images coming at you guys. I'm sorry if, if, if it was any overwhelming, but we want to share this to give you guys perspective on you know, Datadog is, is a growing company. They've got a lot of cool things going for them, but there are some risks. There are some things that are kind of uh, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't want to use the word flat, red flashing lights, but certainly things to be aware of as it relates to valuation multiples, right? 100%. Josh, actually, let's go ahead and take that off. I mean, you're talking about charts, but we got another chart to look at. We got to look at the actual share price. Let's go ahead and jump over and kind of look at what our moving averages are telling us, what Fibonacci is telling us. So we kind of let, we love to take a look. So I'm starting off here with the weekly chart just to get an overview of what's happened since this company came public back in 2019. Obviously, you were just talking about the median growth, right? And and what happens with the growth sector when the interest rates rise? Because your chart, your your chart just shows it all. Is you take interest rates down to zero, and you have all this money out there floating around, the additional two trillion dollars that was printed and put into the economy as well. Well, you have to put the money to work, and so you put the money to work in growth. And obviously, with this being a growth name. That's where we saw the massive move up to about $200 a share here. But ever since we're in this downtrend line on the weekly, let's go into the daily and kind of get more of a, an idea of what's going on underneath the market. So we have, obviously, all the moving averages are in a downward structure, like to a T, obviously, the entire growth sector as well. Now, you remember I brought this up the other week when we were looking at the insider buying. It was three days here after the recent earnings announcement. And obviously, we talked about how by the time we did the episode, the, the entry from the entry point, uh, the investor was already about 25% on his uh, entry point with his cost basis. However, we pointed out the gap. So the gap has come down. The gap has pretty much filled here. I think there might be a little bit more of a ways to go. I'm not sure we completely filled it all the way. You know, there still says there's about 0.6% between the top of this candlestick right here and where we are today. Obviously, at the bottom of it, yeah, it's about 0.64%. I like to wait until it gets to anything under 0.3%. I would consider a gap fill. And remember, once we see gap fills, usually there is 80% of the time a move in the opposite direction. So you might see it come bounce back to the 20-day moving average. But as we're talking about compression of the overall market multiples is what we're watching here. I mean, I think the beta on this absolutely pretty much 1.06 is moving with the market. Um, so keep that in mind. So obviously, if we see, you know, this, there's this major support zone here, which is kind of like what we just broke through. 
Um, and this goes all the way back to, you know, March of 2021. And so once you get through, once you break that support, it usually becomes resistance. And what will happen is obviously we popped above and we came back under. So now it's going to act as resistance. And if we can't pop back above that, then you're not even going to see this 50 day moving average again. You'll probably see it fall further than that. Um, and that's just from the technical perspective, but the next level, I would look below that. I mean, you got a little bit of support down here, uh, about $63 a share way back from, Oh, what was this? Uh, back in 2020, obviously when the market started to rip. So just something to keep an eye on there from a technical perspective. Um, yes, and glad you enjoyed it. So the other things I want to say about Datadog, obviously it's a growth company. It doesn't pay a dividend. So if you're looking for a dividend, this isn't the place for you. Uh, they do have $1.7 billion in cash. They have $836 million in debt. I believe I saw a number of like 700 million of that is long-term debt. So they've got a little bit of runway there. Um, the thing that I didn't like to see is that they have so many products, yet they're still spending 30% of their revenue on R&D. Mm. I think personally, I would love to see management double down on the products you have and continue to show that you can upsell those products. And, and just, you know, I think about the uh, Adobe model, right? They have the creative cloud, they have Premiere and Photoshop and all these, you know, web Dreamweaver and everything else. Like they don't continue to create new products they double down on creating new functions for those products that become so sticky and so amazing that clients and customers are happy to pay for it. So that's one thing that, what, what's your thought on that? Cause that stuck out to me and I was like, ah, oh, man, I don't know if I like that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Right. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, you know, you mentioned, and I didn't know this, that they just launched the security product, right? It's one thing to say, you know, if we understand that from a return on invested capital, we, you know, we, we, we do all this R&D and then when, you know, we come together and we're able to launch this new security platform and it gives us another 200 million in ARR over the next 10 years. Like, that's great. I get that. But to your point, right. Um, they have, you know, we're, 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 we're no longer in this growth at any cost kind of environment. I think that companies like Datadog certainly need to begin Thinking more about that free cash flow, you mentioned the debt, right? They are free cash flow positive, giving them an opportunity to perhaps pay that off if, if you know need be. I don't think they will. But beyond that, Daniel, what kind of strikes me as kind of a, a flag is um, I think I read that 23% of their revenue is getting paid out as stock-based compensation. And if you kind of look back to that chart, which you don't have to pull up, Josh, but if you guys remember that chart before that I had, um, I think it was a 24% free cash flow margin, right? So 23% gets paid out in non-cash, 24% free cash flow margin. Where is that free cash flow margin coming from? Oh, the stock-based compensation, right? So at some point, the company is going to have to stop paying out stock-based compensation as a percent of revenue so much. You're, you're diluting shareholders. You know, it's, it's a whole conversation we had about that. So I would be weary that the fact that this, this free cash flow this valuable free cash flow is coming from sort of like a, you know, steal from Peter to pay Paul type vibe. Um, I just don't really like that either. Yeah, that's a great point as well. I mean, but that's a lot of what growth companies have to do, right? That's true. That's, that's true. Compensation, but you do want to see them do it in a respectable manner, man, manner for the existing shareholders. So that's a great point you make as well. Um, now, we can't get out of here without doing what we always do, and that's looking at the rating summary and the factor grades of Seeking Alpha and what they have going on here with Datadog. So, Josh, if you wouldn't mind throwing up that next slide, we'll look through the rating summary real quick. Uh, we got the Seeking Alpha authors who currently have a buy rating on Datadog. Wall Street analysts are a buy rating as well, but the quant system is a hold at this time. Next slide, please, for the factor grades. So valuation is an F. 
right now. And that is this growth and this multiple and just way overextending. That's what we're still seeing here. But the growth is an A and profitability is a B plus. The momentum is the D plus, which is obviously just that downtrend line of the, the stock that we're seeing. And revisions are in A minus, which is kind of favorable. So I like that. So go to the next slide. I want to point out one more thing that I pulled from Seeking Alpha here on the symbol page. This goes back to what you've been saying from the get-go. These earnings estimates for the next few years for this company is tremendous. Wall Street analysts are expecting this company to continue to perform like crazy. And obviously, as they continue to increase their sales and their revenue and, and hopefully stop spending so much on R&D and just upsell these products that they have, hopefully you'll see those customers that are spending more than $100,000 in ARR with them just continue to grow, right? I think there's a lot of things to like about this, um, but is now the right entry point? I'm a little hesitant. A little I am as well. At this moment in time, I am as well. obviously, if... If when recession, obviously we won't know, we might be in a recession now for all we know, but uh, highly unlikely. Whenever the MBER comes out, says, hey, you guys were in a recession during this time, because uh, hindsight is 2020. Um, you know, we'll see if, if how this company does. Obviously in recession, these companies are going to start pulling back on their vendor and their spending and, and trying to consolidate the expenses that are going out the door as they're continuing to drive revenue from, you know, customers and clients and corporations and things like that. But I do want to point out that there were 21 up revisions on the fiscal year mm -hmm. earnings mm -hmm. within the last 90 days from Wall Street analysts. And of course, that's just after the last earnings report that we just had. And to remind everybody, the next earnings report for this company is estimated, I think it's for February 9th. So we've got- Hey, my guess of February wasn't too, that was good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Daniel, like you're right on the you're right on the money here, right? Like, like this company is interesting. They got a lot of good things going for them. They have awesome products. There's they're operating in a clear cyclic growth twin margin or cyclic growth trend, not twin. Uh, margins are there. Uh, potential free cash flow growth is there. So you know, if you're listening right now and you're looking to learn more about companies that are operating in this model, add to the watch list. Right, Datadog is a great example of a of a company to add to the watch list if you're looking for something that perhaps could be very growth oriented, very technology oriented um, and is is clearly offering a product to customers that want to pay hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars for it there you go all right everyone let's go we're gonna go and wrap it up there we're pretty much at the end of the hour but one remind everyone next week there will not be a show we will be back in two weeks with a special guest who is one of the marketplace authors here on seeking alpha he's really looking forward to it i just talked to him yesterday we're going to start talking about 2023 outlooks stock ideas where they expect the market to go there's a lot coming your way here over the next few weeks here on stock market live also you might see a little brand name switch up from us. We might not be stopping uh, live much hey, longer, we, but we're we, still going to be some here. Ideas. Give us we're some ideas. Still be here. The chat. We, give us the ideas on the, the name. We might see a, a name switch up. I will say though, and, and Daniel, you mentioned this earlier, we still got you know dozens of people here. I do want to just remind everyone, if you've been rocking with us for a while and, and you are leaving a review on the podcast, drop the 100 emoji. That's our little insider joke that we know that you're a real one, but we know that you're out here. Uh, oh yeah, put the podcast on the slide. I didn't really think about that, but we should definitely- I'm gonna Go uh, ahead and just drop it. I've got the link right here. I'm going to drop it in the chat for everybody. Hey, Why don't drop you guys in the go chat ahead if you don't and mind. Drop the 100 emoji. 
in the uh, in, podcast in the hit the follow button leave us a rating leave us a review help us climb the charts around the world i'm so thankful and i'm sure austin you are as well like we're reaching a global audience we're all helping each other here we just want to see everybody succeed build your wealth you know some people are in retirement some people want to buy a car some people want to buy a house some people want to go on vacation some people don't want to feel like they're going into a recession hopefully we can do that with the knowledge and the investing that we're doing here so Shout out to all of you for hanging out with us for this hour. We appreciate it. Austin Hankwitz from Cashflow Freaks on Seeking Alpha. Go give him a follow free trial if you haven't already. I love your stuff. That's just me. Maybe I'm I appreciate it. I like my stuff too. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> I think it's time. Josh, we appreciate you. Thank you again, everybody. Walter, Robert, Ralph, Sin, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Stephanie, you're here every week. We appreciate you. Vita, you're here every day as well. Oh my gosh, the love, we feel the love. So everybody enjoy the rest of your week. Hopefully Powell doesn't tank the market. We'll see you next time. Josh, get us on out of here, man.